You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And yes, every single day, it's like a, an adventure every day. You tune in right now. You don't know how much Spain and Fitz you're going to get. That's why you got to tune in right at the beginning of every single show because that's when you find out. Tonight, we have 90 minutes as we're going to take you all the way up to the Western Conference Finals, which you can listen to on ESPN Radio. We'll get to the Eastern Conference in, in a minute. We'll get to looking back at what happened last night. We'll do it with Nick Friedle in a few minutes. But we're going to start with some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And Sarah, I'm looking at the straight talk of what we're going to see tonight, trying to figure out how to make sense of a Mavericks team that I was all out on, thought was never going to stand a chance, taking on a Warriors team that, frankly, just went in and did dirty things to the Grizzlies. Like, it's hard for me to figure this out because I already wrote the, the Mavericks off once. I feel like writing them off twice mm. is stupid on my part. Well, we've already established that you don't learn from your mistakes, no, right? Is, because if we real. remember That's correctly, real. it was just a few days ago that you were bemoaning a future of Dinty Moore and Ramen because of your gambling errors, and right. you doubled down by last night playing a parlay and not only not winning it, but forgetting what you had played to the point that you thought you won it until you went back and realized that you hadn't. Okay, a couple. So of you're really nailing this whole wagering thing. A couple important notes. Number one, I was completely sober when I made my wager. That's important <laughs> for everyone to know. Number two, never wager like when you're looking at the app and it says game starts in one minute because I went too fast. <laughs> I really thought like when I looked at the scores on the NHL games at the end of the uh, basketball game, I was like, oh, my God. I won my parlay. I am back in business. I did like a little mm-hmm. shimmy all by myself. I was like, yeah, I feel the celebration. Only to find out that I'm an idiot, and I thought I took the lightning, but apparently <laughs> I took the Panthers. I even said on air I took the Panthers. So uh, I'm a moron, and yet again, it, it's it's not like now it's one bag of ramen every two days. Like I got, uh, like, You know what I, I appreciate? I think that it's possible that you're doing some performance art in order to teach our listeners the rights and wrongs of, of dipping a toe. You're teaching everybody what not to do by you yourself doing it it must be it has to be you can't be this stupid I think. i'm gonna need to get an endorsement deal with the dog food company soon yeah because annabelle may or may not have food anymore I, she I may not she, she you may be eating her food it might be yeah. cheaper than what you got well, uh, we're gonna get into though, by like, the way I, go, ahead. go ahead go ahead go ahead no i was gonna talk basketball but i want to no. hear if you were eating no, that's where food. i was gonna go too okay. i was just All gonna right, say perfect. that you know <laughs> i have no confidence tonight to bet anything like i have, <laughs> I have learned my valuable lesson because there are nights that you look at it and you say i feel really good about the outcome of matchups Tonight, I have no idea what to expect because when you are talking about the version of Luka Doncic that we've seen over the course of the last week and a half or so, I don't know how you count that version out. But also, it's hard for me not to admit the brand bias that comes when you start seeing the Warriors shoot mm-hmm. the way the Warriors can shoot. So this, this feels like a game one that is truly an interesting case study to see what we can watch that will actually transfer into a full seven-game series. The last time I remember really digging into teams and how they were going to try to specifically defend um, a player with unique kind of uh, skills and tools was Giannis as the league was first trying to figure out, could we force him to the free throw line? Could we try to get him to take deep shots, et cetera? It, it is now what we're seeing with Luka. And so I've been analyzing and, and researching a whole lot of different people's opinions on this. One of the interesting ones was Tim McMahon, ESPN NBA reporter. He was on SportsCenter today and tried to um, – actually, this was – this. I, I'm going to get to Tim McMahon in a second because he's the reverse of this. The Athletics' Anthony Slater is the one who tried to take a look at what the Warriors can toss up there and offer up uh, to try to slow down 
um, Luca and and I think a lot of people agree that they're going to take the same tactic that we saw through the first two rounds that they did with Jokic and that they did with Morant. Different styles of play, but basically not let anyone else go off. They they will try to slow down the superstar. They're not going to let him do anything he wants because if they stay soft and then switch on everything and, and stay home on their shooters, he's going to eventually be able to match up with some of the slow-footed guard guys that he wants to take advantage of, like a courier or pool, like in, in a high screen and just bully his way in. They need to make it hard for him, but I think what they're going to try to do is keep everybody else from being effective. And we've seen that work, fits because when Luka is going off and blowing up the box score, they tend not to win. It's when there's more balance that the Mavs get the W. Well, and balance is, to that point, part of what we can see from the Warriors constantly. Like, when you look at the Warriors' side of it, it feels like they can get offense from anywhere they want to get offense at any time, and we're never surprised by it. I mean, it's not that long ago that we were all saying, oh, Jordan Poole, that's cool. Like, But then you think about the fact that we also saw moments where Steph went off. We saw moments where Clay went off. I, it, trying to figure out how the Mavs, who, you know, uh, Luka is great offensively, not always the most engaged defender, saying that politely. So all of a sudden, now you're looking at it saying, can they wear him out, making yeah. him defend anybody? And to that end, Tim McMahon, ESPN NBA reporter on SportsCenter, did talk about the Mavericks and how they tried, how they might try to slow down the Warriors. They're not going to show him the same looks over and over again. He's too great that you know you have to uh, you know throw, throw different things at him. Now they had success March 3rd. They held him not just scoreless in the fourth quarter of that win but they held him without a shot in the fourth quarter by throwing a bunch of double teams at him, forcing the ball out of his hands. Now, Draymond Green did not play in that game. Obviously, Draymond's playmaking ability presents problems in those kind of situations, but they have Reggie Bullock. They have Dorian Finney-Smith. Frank Nielakina was effective. And the one thing they've done against Donovan Mitchell and Chris Paul, they made those guys work on defense, hope that it kind of wears them down, not just over the course of a game, but over the course of a long series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You buying I mean, that? I just think it's fascinating on both sides because you're obviously Steph is a guy that, that can go off, but in the case of the Mavs, you shut down Luca and you limit him enough and you keep everybody else from doing their best and you're fine with the Warriors. To your point, you just really don't know who's, who's going to do it for them. It's, it's always going to be Steph dominating attention and if it's not him actually hitting, it's him allowing others to go off because of the amount of attention that you have to play on him. Um, if you do something like trying to trap the ball out of his hands, you're going to see Draymond um, and, and the rest of that team take over. If you don't put two on the ball, if you try to just let Steph get defended one-on-one, -on -one, he's going to cook you. Um, he's one of the best in the NBA. In fact, I think according to Synergy Stats, he's the best in the NBA in ISOs in terms of points per possession. So you can't take a one-on-one, -on -one, but you can't really blitz him. So you have to find ways to cheat towards Steph and force it around. Um, and, and that's why this is going to be yet another kind of similar to the Eastern conference where a ton of strategy and just a ton of, of adjustments in game is going to make the difference. I think sometimes the, the best part of playoff basketball is the chess match of trying to figure out how guys slow each other down night in and night out. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, I, you know, we don't necessarily have a lot of positivity here for, for the Mavs actually pulling off the upset for the Warriors. It doesn't feel like either of us are leaning that direction. But Monica McNutt, ESPN basketball analyst, was on Keyshawn J. Will and Max. She gave her at least thought to how it could happen when she said this. If they can take some of what they did to Phoenix in terms of wearing Steph down with some of that size, 
Like, to me, that's a good look. And then, remember in games one and two versus the Jazz, Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie were terrific in transition. So if they can find a way to get some easy baskets, but that's sort of a counterbalance to what makes Luka who he is in terms of him not being sped up unless he wants to. So mm. I'm just – that's something that I'm watching. The Warriors system obviously makes that a lot harder because you guard Steph 94 feet, cool, Draymond's going to bring the ball up. Like, not a big deal. Um, but those are kind of some of the wrinkles that I'm maybe looking at. Um, but it's, this is going to be a challenge it's for the Mavs. I do think it's going to be a better series than people think. But, um, yeah, I think right now I'm leaning Warriors. Yeah, we're all leading Warriors. I actually do think it's going to be a good series because if you see some of the ways the Warriors have dropped off, man, they better show up at least. That's some straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. And, yeah, I said it at the beginning. I'll say it again. I'm done counting Luka out simply because the number of times it feels like he's been outmanned but kept his team in it, you never know what's going to happen. What I do know is that Jimmy Butler heard all the outside noise and praise for Jason Tatum, and he responded last night. We'll ask someone who was there about Jimmy and the Heat next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Welcome to Miami. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to get back to Western Conference Finals Game 1 a little bit later in the show, but let's look back at last night, Heat taking Game 1. Joining us now, friend of the show, Nick Friedel, ESPN NBA reporter, ditched the Nets and went down south. I, Poppy, we're in Miami. Let's talk Jimmy Butler. You know, Nick, you you uh, have a history with Jimmy. Obviously, was on the Bulls when you were working that beat. He heads down to Miami, and for as great as he has been for the eye-popping numbers, the, the commercials that he's in, the superstar he very clearly is, doesn't seem like we always think and talk about him that way. Why is that? In true Jimmy fashion, Sarah, what I kept thinking last night is Jimmy heard all the – Talk before the series. Oh, Jason Tatum's elevating to that superstar level. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's going to take another step in his progression. He knocked off KD in the first round and Giannis in the second round, and now he's going to get by the heat and deliver the Celtics to the finals. And as usual, <laughs> Jimmy took it personally. Mm-hmm. And, and what always cracks me up, having been around him for so many years, is Jimmy will say, ah, I don't pay attention to that. That's not true. <laughs> he knows full well what the conversation is before these series start. So the reason we don't view him, the general public, I think, as a quote-unquote superstar is because he hasn't delivered Miami to that level year after year after year on top of the fact that he didn't come out into the NBA and have – people think that he could ever get to that point right this is they, they made an idea of Jimmy. him before he came off the exactly. bench and became a max player and he, it's hard to change people's minds exactly he's creating a different narrative than anybody thought was possible maybe he always did uh, but uh, sarah even in the beginning i'm not sure he in his wildest dreams thought that he could lift his own game to this level so there are a lot of different layers in play and what i would say is He wants to be known as that type of top-tier star. In order to do it, especially at his age, having this much time in the league, you have to deliver titles. It's not just beer commercials. 
and everything else Jimmy's into. He's really close right now. He got really close in the bubble, and if he can do it, I think once and for all he will have crossed that threshold. I mean, in fairness, though, when you what you're talking about with delivering titles, even if he delivers a title with this Miami team, is he the conversation, or are we focusing on, I don't know, Spolstra yet again and, and his greatness? Like, why Jimmy Butler with all the praise? Mr. Fitz, the answer there is because Jimmy is playing at a higher level than we've ever seen. And I say that as somebody who covered that Heat team a year and a half ago in the bubble and saw him get real close to making it happen right there. He's just better. He is at a different place in his own career, and he's poured everything he has into delivering this team to this point. And I think that's why he has so much respect in the room. And look, Jimmy can be a pain. (laughs) We've seen it at every stop he's been in. (laughs) And we certainly saw it a couple months ago when he had to blow up on the sideline with Spolstra and, and Udonis Haslam got involved. But when you can play at that type of level night after night in the biggest of games, I don't care how much of a pain you are, your teammates will respect that you can get all of them to play at a different level themselves. And having been down here now for a few weeks and seen this Heat team night after night and seen the way Jimmy's playing, the confidence that he has is permeating throughout this group. And so if you get them to uh, to uh, the Eastern Conference Finals through to the finals and then whomever they may play, if they're lucky enough to get there, uh, that's where you really start to change your tune on what Jimmy Butler is in the league in 2022. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Nick Friedel, ESPN NBA reporter who's on the Heat beat uh you know i was doing an uh debatable after dark last night and it was with uh dominique foxworth and izzy gutierrez izzy of course part of heat culture and i will forgive him a bit for this but he pushed back (laughs) on my belief that so much of what we saw in the second half of game one last night was about fatigue and i know that sounds simplistic but that carries over to everything from passes not being crisp where the Celtics, you know, are, are are laying it up for the Heat to make steals. Where the Celtics' really great defensive hands suddenly stopped forcing turnovers at half court and the perimeter for those easy transition buckets. Where someone like Williams, who was huge and they needed him so much without Horford in the first half, gets tired because they don't have a good rotation because of players being out and it's ineffective in the second. Um, Tatum not driving the same way. Like all of these things to me are not just, well, Spo made adjustments. It's of course that the Heat were super aggressive in the third and they started to hit their shots and that rust went away. But for me, I don't know how much you could take from this game into game two if the Celtics feel a little bit more rested and a little bit less like they're feeling the effects of that game uh, seven with the Bucks. Is that too simple? I don't think so, Sarah. And I'd take it a step farther and say, I still think the Celtics win this series in seven games. Yeah. I just think top to, Me too. Top, top to bottom, they're just a better team because I don't believe that Jimmy's going to put up 41 every night. And I'm not sure where the offensive help is going to come from on the nights when he isn't doing it uh, at that type of uh, level for himself and getting other people involved. So – Uh, The issue to me with Boston in the second half does have something to do with a little bit of an emotional fatigue. 
Because when you have that type of win that they had game seven over Giannis on Sunday, to come back into Miami against uh, just a hellacious defense and to be without Marcus Smart, now Horford, and to find out a couple hours before the game, uh, at least on Horford, everybody had to take a deep breath and go, oh, boy, uh, this this is not how we drew this up. I've watched the Celtics up close in that net series. I've seen the way that defense works. I absolutely think they're going to come out better prepared in game two. And, I again, I just think they have a little bit more talent than this Heat team. But having said all that, if Jimmy's playing the way that he is playing and can, can continue that even against the Celtics defense, well, good luck to Boston. Okay, so what's the one adjustment that you think Miami needs to make moving forward in the series to be able to close out Boston then? Fitz, defensively, I don't think there are too many adjustments because this team plays so incredibly hard. It's Jimmy and a bunch of mini Jimmies. (laughs) They're all wired the same way. They know where they need to be, and that goes right at the heart of coaching. You want to praise Eric Spolster for something and his staff, those guys know what to do. It's almost like a college program down here. Somebody comes in and you know that they're going to be able to fill the role that is asked of them. Uh, but as far as an adjustment, I, that's where it gets really tricky because when you watch Miami, you see a team that thrives on creating momentum defensively that helps them push the offense Uh, you're now looking at a group though uh, that can you rely on Tyler Hero every night is Max Struess going to hit enough shots early on to create a little bit more space for Butler to operate Bam was not so great in the first half last night and he was really good at times in the second half but you saw those two games three and four in Philly and you just weren't sure if if that offense was going to be up to the task night after night. I think it all for Miami hovers around getting other people involved and taking some of that burden off Jimmy. I think it's going to be a fantastic series, super fun to watch. Uh, If we had more time, we'd ask you about the Warriors, who spent quite a bit of time with them as well. But maybe later on in the series, we'll get your take on what they're going to do against this uh, this Mavs team and Luka. Thanks for the time, Nick. Enjoy the pool. Thank you, my friend. Always, y'all. (laughs) Talk to you soon. (laughs) We got the laugh. Yes. Coming up on Spade and Fitz, a new collective bargaining agreement in U.S. soccer. A massive, huge day for the women's U.S. national team. We'll talk about it next here, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Oh, we finally know where the bag's at, and it is with the U.S. women's national team. A historic day. For the U.S. Women's National Team and the U.S. Soccer Federation finally achieving equal pay. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And we the first part of this happened in February. U.S. Soccer agreeing to play the U.S. Women's National Team $24 million to settle the equal pay lawsuit. 
but this deal was contingent on a new CBA that has now been reached. And now we can officially say that they have reached equal pay for the men and women of U.S. soccer. Joining us now to talk about it, Chicago Red Star star and U.S. women's national team star, Tierna Davidson, out with injury, but certainly not just sitting on her couch. You have been a huge part of this in all the meetings and the conversations. So, Tierna, can you speak just to how many different people, how much work went into making this a reality? Oh, yeah, an incredible amount of work. I mean, it was a lot of hours for us in the negotiation setting, but then also a lot of work, um, you know, gathering opinions and concerns and thoughts from players and, um, you know, talking with lawyers offline. And it was it was just a really a team effort. I mean, it was um, players. It was our committee. It was our executive director of our PA, our lawyers. Um, U.S. soccer lawyers, um, Cindy Parlo-Cohn and her team, um, the men's national team PA. I mean, it really was uh, quite a bit of, of effort on all fronts. So um, we're really proud of everybody's hard work for making this become a reality for us. What was the toughest part in this process of getting everything done? Um, you know, I, I would say um, – trying to get through all of the information so that we could really start getting to the negotiation probably just took the longest, um, you know, every, each side presenting um, their kind of starting negotiations um, and then trying to pick through all of the details. It was pages upon pages of information right. um, and then coming back with like counter proposals and then, counters to the counter proposals um, and then finally getting down to, to where we could settle between us. Um, it took a while, but it was um, very rewarding. A lot of conversation about the means by which they could reconcile the difference in the payouts for things like FIFA, um, World Cups, and, and international competitions, where the pool for money is so much greater for men. And there were any number of ways that they could have decided to make this decision. One model could have operated like the rest of the contract does, where you have base pay per game, bonus money for wins. But the way that they did it, in some ways isn't fair for either of you because it doesn't reward performance, which is not great for the women who are winning a lot, but not great for the men because they say they have to share some of their money because their pool is bigger. But it seems like maybe the only way to get the men and women's teams fighting in unison and also to account for such inequality across the board in international play, right? Yeah, yeah. That was definitely a very complicated aspect of the CBA just because there is such a disparity between the money that FIFA pays out, and that's not something that U.S. soccer controls directly. Um, and so it's not like they could just decide to fork over more money for us and, you know, that would be equal pay. It's, it's, it's kind of a bit out of their hands in that sense. Um, and so it really did require collaboration between us and the men's national team to come to some sort of agreement that would um, feel like equal pay and um, it, we are very thankful that they were willing to collaborate with us um, on this part of the CBA. Um, and so hopefully as we move towards the future, our size of the prize money pot will continue to grow. So it will eventually become even more advantageous for them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you win and the pot keeps going up the way it has in recent years for the Women's World Cup, the winners could get something like $10 million. That would be more money than the men if they got bounced in, this, in the group stage, and they would be taking your money in this new mixed pot. Um, so it does feel like um, 
lesser of two evils, I suppose, of, of all the ways they could have done it, Fitz. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. <laughs> but yeah, it really does tie us together. And, you know, that, now it makes it even more of an incentive for us to cheer for each other than it already right, was. Right, right. <laughs> Tierna, it sounds like big changes are coming in booking venues for games. What did U.S. soccer tell you about booking venues before and what's going to happen now? Yeah, well, I, I think that was a, a big um, point that we wanted to get across is that um, it, it's important where we play just because um, we want to reach as many fans as possible. So we want to play in the best venues and we want to um, make sure that our fans can get out and see our games and we can, you know, reach all different types of fans. And so I, I think there's going to be a, a bit more thought um, put into how and where they book our venues um, just so that we can make sure that we are getting great attendance to all of our games and we are reaching different parts of, of the country um, and making sure that the U.S. Women's National Team is spread far and wide across <laughs> the country. Yeah, and that we know you're coming. I love this part because this is something that I'm always fighting on social media about. They don't plan ahead enough to promote the games and do fan fest to sell tickets to get linear broadcast space because they wait too long to book. And then they aren't, aren't willing to pay. U.S. Soccer has just used the weight of their name and the uh, excitement around the women's team to, to try to get venues to take them on for free because of the m money they can make in tickets and concessions. Now they actually will have to compete for the best um, spaces and the best times, which is going to help continue to grow. Tierna Davidson is with us, star of the U.S. Women's National Team, star of the Chicago Red Stars, who I've been told have some of the best owners in all of soccer. That's uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> just something I've heard. The coolest ones with the best tailgates. Um, you know, in addition to that, you know, one thing that we have not heard as much about as people are talking about, it's very complicated, there's a lot of tentacles to this, is the, the revenue share for the players now coming from media like um, TV deals and sponsors. And so now not only will U.S. soccer be incentivized to try to find those spaces and get those better TV deals, but so will the players because you're getting a share of that revenue now like you never did before. How important was that to the player side to get? It's very important because, you know, we, we are um, – we want to drive U.S. soccer's commercial revenue. We, we want that to be – um, as big as possible because that in turn gets us more fans that, you know, it's just kind of like a snowball effect. But also, you know, we want to be, we want to have a piece of that pie because it's kind of work that we do as well. Right. Um, it, it is work that the marketing work, social media work, like, like that's, that's time and energy put in by us to, to make sure that, um, you know, that's going well for, for the national team. But, you know, it, it is, mutually advantageous it is advantageous for the players um to want revenue to continue to go up in in the commercial sector of u.s soccer and it's advantageous for them obviously because they, they're earning more money they're, they're getting more revenue so um i think that it's great that we get to have a piece of that pie just because um, it really then incentivizes us to want to drive that even more to want to repost things to want to do content so um it, it's it's great for both of us when you have fought so long for this to get to this point, this point, what's the next fight? Like, how do you sort of compress or decompress? Eleven teen beers. Yeah, She's I, gonna well, fight I, eleven teen beers. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, in a big picture sense, next fight would be with FIFA. Um, that yeah. is what 
I see as being the next fight um, and the next place that we can um, kind of level the playing field between the men's and the women's game. Um, but we hope that this kind of starts a bit of a cascade effect amongst many other international um, soccer organizations all over the world um, with their men's and women's teams. Um, but for right now, my immediate fight is going to be with um, my physical therapist probably right. on Friday as we continue <laughs> to do more exercises for me. That's right, <laughs> to, get back, to get back on the field. Uh, Tierna Davidson of the U.S. Women's National Team, Chicago Red Stars. You can follow her at Tierna underscore Davidson. Uh, to your point about that last bit, I love how this aligns the men and women, truly one team, one nation, because they will want the women's pots to go up too, and they will want to fight with FIFA because now that it's all going into one place for U.S. soccer and then doled out to the players – they will want to be in these fights. From what I've been told, there were no men's players in any of these negotiations. That sounds about right. It's not nearly as important to them. It's not nearly as um, unfair uh, on their end uh, what they're looking at, so they didn't have to fight much for it. But you guys did, and you have since the 99ers and before that uh, to achieve this. And now that you're in a line with the men, I think pushing FIFA to make those changes, you know, being incentivized to work together and to truly be one team is going to be huge for U.S. soccer. I'm, I'm just super pumped about all this. Congratulations, Tierna. I'm so proud of all of you guys. This is just a really, really awesome day. Um, I do hope you get to enjoy it before the rehab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. We, we, we've worked very hard and, uh, you know, we are extremely thankful for everybody that's fought this battle before us, um, both in uh, the soccer realm and, and in women's sports more broadly. Um, but you know, we're very, very excited to see what this brings for us in the future. Us too. Thanks so much, Tierna. Thanks, Tierna. Thank you, guys. She's amazing. When she's back out on the field, you can watch her with the Chicago Red Stars and the U.S. Women's National Team. Follow her at Tierna underscore Davidson. You can tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Today's episode was about Brittany Griner and her situation is uh, complicated and uncertain, but we are getting some answers about the latest. We'll share them with you next, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're short tonight. We're uh, only going an hour and a half tonight because the NBA will be on ESPN Radio. So you don't want to go anywhere, obviously, tonight. The Western Conference Finals tip off, and we will get back to all of the NBA conversation around the game. As our show continues, Sarah, but uh, one of the more important uh, conversations happening right now in the world of sports involves Brittany Griner. And as most people know at this point, she's been detained in Russia. And the question has been, what's next for the WNBA star? How does she get released? And Adam Silver has said now the NBA is working with the WNBA. The quote, our number one priority is Griner's health and safety and making sure that she gets out of Russia so we'll see. Obviously, there are layers to this, and it's something that's been covered really well in the ESPN Daily. Uh, for anyone that doesn't uh, check out ESPN Daily, you should. It's a great opportunity to get a little bit more nuance and some of the more mm-hmm. difficult-to-understand conversations around all of the sports constantly and consistently. So I, I found myself listening to it, realizing how little I understand at times about a very complicated situation when it comes to Brittany Griner and how every step of this is a process that people in the know are familiar with. But for a lot of us that are sitting here as sports fans, we're still trying to figure out what all of it means and why it's happening the way it's happening. 
Well, it's not normal for sports fans to need to understand the intricacies of the Russian judicial system. Um, and it's been uh, a story that's taken on different um, faces as it's gone on. Originally, there was a call for quiet on the front of Brittany Griner because they had hoped that she would be able to be processed in Russia in the court system using due process, which does exist out there, for the accusations of her potentially having um, hashish oil. The U.S. reclassified her as wrongfully detained. And as T.J. Quinn talked about on ESPN Daily today, that means that something happened to make them believe that she was no longer someone who was simply stopped for potentially breaking a drug law, but may in fact be being used for political gain. That was always the concern and why they wanted to keep it quiet at first was because they thought that maybe if she wasn't high profile enough, Russia wouldn't try to take advantage of her for a potential trade. Now, that is exactly what it sounds like is happening. And TJ on ESPN Daily today talked about the last time they brought her to court and extended her another 30 days and how it might not even been with any intent whatsoever for the session that they brought her to in court to have any outcome other than to align it with a news story that was coming out on the same day. You had Russian state news, which is a function of the government, saying there's a discussion underway for between exchanging Brittany Griner and a Russian man named Victor Boot, who's in a U.S. prison serving a 25-year sentence for financing terrorism. Rarely does the U.S. government want anyone more than it wanted this man. His name is Victor Boot, and he's known as the Merchant of Death. U.S. government officials say Boot became the world's most notorious arms dealer by fueling civil wars around the world. The people I talked to, both experts and State Department officials, immediately said, this is the game. This is what you do when you're trying to negotiate. This is what they've done in the past. So you've got the hearing um, where it was, was the point to really adjudicate her case and move it forward to set a trial date? Or was it to drag Brittany Griner in handcuffs in front of cameras? The same day, you've got a, a Russian media story saying there's a deal on the table. Experts I've talked to all said it's all designed to create pressure within the United States to get the White House to cut a deal so Russia can get the guy that they want. Hmm. It's terrifying. Well, terrifying and such an education, I think, for a lot of us, myself included, uh, be the first to say it loudly, that sometimes you look at things and say, well, why why is it being done the way it's being done? And people with more expertise have a better understanding on it. The thought that Brittany Griner is being used for for leverage, essentially, to to get back somebody that has it's such a wild situation to think that you can go from being a WNBA player and a global basketball player to suddenly being in a Russian prison simply because you're part of a leverage play like that's hard to wrap your head around in modern times. It is, but not if you've seen this before and people who um, understand and have had had to negotiate with Russia before um, have seen it. And that's the scary thing about this is there have been examples where uh, other Americans have been kept for up to up to uh, almost three years. Trevor Reed was recently released, a Marine veteran who had accusations that the, the American um, uh, government believed to be completely false once they uh, some of the attempts at evidence came to light. And he eventually, very recently, was released only because his family began seriously protesting 
and advocating for his return because they said that he had uh, acquired tuberculosis and was seriously injured in a fall and that they needed to get him out of there for treatment. Right now, there are other Americans that are over there, either hostage, literal hostages or who are, according to the government, wrongfully detained. And now they are trying to position themselves in similar ways to have their family member released, just like Trevor Reed was, but it's not that simple. And if you do, as TJ Quinn talked about, start to take these deals too quickly and too rashly, you could incentivize kidnapping of American citizens because the Russian government then recognizes that they've put you in the exact position they had hoped, which was we have something that you would like, and now you have to give us something back. Um, the, the main reason pa uh, that Pablo and TJ talked about is that as the war for Russia is not going as desired for Putin, he needs to continue to impress the oligarchs that keep him in power. So somebody in Russia likely wants this guy, this merchant of death back, and she either did do something illegal that would have been a minor offense were it not for them to realize the position that she might hold in terms of public power, or she didn't do anything at all. And they decided to pinpoint her as someone that they could use in this. Um, and that's what's so scary about it is we don't even really know what they claim to have in terms of evidence. But we do know if they had any and this was happening like a real trial, they would have presented it and done anything to, to forward this trial in a reasonable way instead of extending her for months and months with nothing. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Insurance makes bundling home and auto easy. Learn more at Progressive.com. It's Payne and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You mentioned trial, and I think that's a real question a lot of people have as they try to familiarize themselves. What's next? When can Brittany Griner expect a trial? That's something that TJ Quinn talked about today on ESPN Daily. Under Russian law, they can extend her up to a year, the pretrial period. Mm. And there's no reason to think that they wouldn't keep doing this. Every time there's a hearing date, it's another opportunity to create public pressure. And that's really what the goal is going to be here. It's not going to be jurisprudence. It's going to be a negotiating tactic. So expect them to keep kicking the can as long as they need to, doing anything that they can to create pressure. Yeah. And what's crazy and that they talked about is that Britney's family and the Russian government are sort of aligned now in believing that the best way to get what they want is to put pressure on Biden and on the U.S. government. And that's really scary. Um, and it's also, I think, uh, really important to remember, Fitz, that like this is just a American citizen human being who has now been in jail for months in a country that's currently at war and is led by a dictator. And any rash comments or ignorant comments, I think, are so deprived of empathy for this person and a lack of understanding. And that kind of ignorance, I think, is really silly at this point when we're starting to have so much more information to work with. That is one of the most heartbreaking things about this entire story, and it's the reason why I think if the human element of this, we all sort of uh, put ourselves in their shoes, and I have no idea how they can manage mm -hmm. even through this. So we'll keep you updated. We're just an over an hour away from game one. We'll get you set for the Western Conference Finals next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Just two more segments for us tonight because we're taking you into Western Conference Finals Game 1, Mavs at Warriors. 9 Eastern start on TNT and ESPN Radio. Uh, you get the pregame here on ESPN Radio before that one starts. Fitz, we were talking about this game earlier in the show. The regular season series, the Mavs won over the Warriors 3-1. to one. This is a tough one to use regular season 
to base things on. Clay was out for the first and the third meeting. And we've really seen a guy like Poole step up in the absence of Steph Curry when he was hurt for a while. And I also think the Warriors team, despite having a lot of youth that is experiencing a lot of this for the first time, when your core is part of a previous essentially dynastic run, yeah, it's really hard to tell just how much they're given regular season. I would never accuse them of coasting, but you could really kick it into high gear as a team like this. So I'm kind of throwing a lot of the regular season uh, results out the window. Maybe not what we saw from certain matchups and, and strategies, but results-wise, that 3-1 to one Mavs doesn't tell me much. Yeah, I think you make a really strong point, too, about the difference between the postseason and the regular season. And I'll, I'll turn it a little bit because – you're right. I don't think the Warriors are out here coasting in the regular season. I just think that there's such a difference in the intensity, and especially on the defensive side of the ball, the amount of effort that's put into night in and night out in the playoffs. You got like you have to live through that to understand that level of intensity. The Warriors have lived through that, many of them, so they understand how to bring that next level. So I don't think it's necessarily about coasting as much as it is understanding how to get to a higher gear, and the Warriors do that. That's part of what we saw in the last series against Memphis. And and I want to give Memphis a ton of praise for the way they fought without John Morant particularly. But this is still a Warriors team that can beat you from anywhere. And you and I have talked about it so much over the last couple of months that the Warriors have had a couple of nights, yes, that have been forgettable where they simply can't shoot. But for the most part, they have at times just made it look so effortless to throw up points wherever and however they want to. I'm genuinely curious to see how the Mavs approach that and try and slow down. I don't feel like the Mavs, Mavs can go into a series and suddenly just rely on outscoring, outrunning, outoffensing, if you will, uh, Golden State. No, absolutely not. And that's why Golden State is so tough. And we talked about this in the Eastern Conference, right? The pivot for the Celtics in terms of focusing on one dominant, imposing threat in Giannis and instead having to figure out how to deal with a Heat team that can go really deep in terms of double digits and scores. Now, you don't always know who's going to show up every night, which can be a downfall for a Heat team if nobody does outside of Jimmy. But it also is pretty scary if it can be Bam and it can be Tyler and it can be um, Struess. And the same goes for the Warriors, right? Yes, Steph is going to get his. But look out if Draymond's on one. Look out if Clay decides to put up 30 and a quarter. You know, look out if Poole's having a big night. There's a lot of ways they can beat you. And so this is, uh, this is you know, something that the Mavs have to look at and figure out. And, and obviously the reverse goes for the Warriors. They have to figure out um, not only how to keep, you know, some of the helping parts of the Mavs out so that they can have a well-rounded attack, but just, like, don't let Luka get on one like he was the other night where he's not only making every shot but laughing afterwards because it just feels so easy for him. Yeah, and that's going to be the interesting part here is who other than Luca, right? Because uh, we all know that can you know can Spencer Dinwiddie go off? Can he suddenly become the guy that becomes the other guy in this series? He obviously had some big games against the Suns, and you think about sort of what would be expected. Somebody else in my mind, Brunson, oh, obviously. Yeah, uh, you know you don't expect it from Finney Smith. That seemed like an aberration, but Maxi Kleba's been shooting really well, and that could be a really interesting situation for the Warriors that they are in terms of spacing. Yeah, somebody's going to have to get out there and start. somebody's going to get have to get hot enough that the Warriors have to respect it. That's the hardest part. And they have while they've had some examples of that, there isn't a secondary guy that they look at and lean on. And that's why, you know, early on in the playoffs, I had questions and now I sit here and say, well, maybe it can be a different person every night. But that seems much more difficult. If you're asking me to predict a series and what to expect, 
it's much more difficult for me to be able to, to be comfortable predicting that in a victory when there's not that Mr. Reliable that you can look at and say there's the second option. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're getting into Western Conference Finals game one tonight. Mavs at Warriors. It'll be right here on ESPN Radio. Um, two things. Luca and who he ends up guarding will matter. Um, although the way the Warriors move the basketball, if you are playing good defense or at least trying to, everybody's going to get tired. Everybody's going to get wore out. And if they can wear out Doncic on the defensive side, that's going to help them a lot when they try to defend him on the offensive side. And Vince Carter was on Get Up today talking about the different options that Golden State might roll out to try to guard Luka. You can't give me the same look every time because when you do that and I figure you out, I'm going to beat you. So I like the fact that Golden State has multiple guys that can guard him. Even Iguodala, he might not play much, but you get you get Wiggins. Obviously, his athleticism, his, his body type's a little different. You have Clay. Clay uses more positioning, moving his feet, hands on. Then you have Draymond with and, and Kaminga's athletic, and you have Draymond with his ability to bully and to, to, to muscle up where you don't or he's not able to post up as easy in the paint. So that is one of the things I'm really looking for. How do they play him and when do they change up when he scores a couple of points or just switch it up just because out of timeouts. That's what I'll be looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And he mentioned Wiggins. Wiggins has become a really good defender on the wing, and he was the one who got most of the work on Doncic during the regular season matchups. Um, Luca still got his, I think almost shot 50%, but everything else that he did, he had to really work for, and he got tired out. So I could see Wiggins doing a lot of the work. You've mentioned getting tired. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. There, there's one metric, I think, that uh, that really bears out exactly what has happened throughout the course of the postseason so far. The Warriors outscoring opponents, uh, and it's not even close, 59 points in the fourth quarter of the season. But what's interesting is that their point differential, their offensive efficiency, their net efficiency, and their assists per game, they're number one in all of those in the postseason in the fourth quarter. And that speaks mm. – a little bit to what you mentioned at the beginning with the Warriors knowing how to get to that next gear. But it also speaks to the fact that they demand so much of everybody defensively mm -hmm. that at some point everybody else just runs out of gas. And once they've run out of gas, this is a Warriors team that can shoot from anywhere, anytime. That little extra split second they get of an opportunity is enough for them to make those shots. Yeah, they they obviously can get super hot when you've got the splash brothers out there when you've got draymond who's a guy that can get the crowd into it can get the team into it you got to worry about that if you're the maps but they also can get a little bit overexcited and play sloppy basketball they have 41 turnovers in the last two games 16 or more turnovers in every single game of the series with the grizzlies now the grizzlies turn the ball or, or cause the other team to turn the ball over more than any team in the NBA. The Mavs are uh, seventh fewest in the NBA enforcing turnovers. But that's, a lot of it was the Warriors getting sloppy. And so finding a way to control that energy and that heat and that fire and make the shots while not making sloppy mistakes is going to be huge for them too because you just can't give Luka and the Mavs easy buckets they're not working for. Yeah, well, and that's, I mean, all of this is easier said than done. That's the thing that, that I, I'm so interested on this first game, just to try and figure out who matches up on who and what it actually looks like when we see it on the court. Because right now, it's hard for me to see a path for the Mavs to get a win. But also, I'm the first to admit last night, I thought the Heat would run away with it, and they absolutely didn't. So there's an unpredictability to game one in these series. And particularly, I'm interested to see what Luka looks like against the Warriors because he's going to have to shoulder so much of the load. I'm hyped for it, but uh, I, I, uh, 
I'm curious to see what it looks like one game in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm proud of you because it sounds like you learned. Um, you're prisoner of the moment. Regular takes are maybe uh, softened. Warriors a are going to kill him. It's over. Warriors oh, going to. Look, no. it works for Stephen A. Come on. Uh -huh. like, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And now a no frills ad brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Here it is. You could say big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. That's it. See, just a good old fashioned, straightforward ad. See if you could save at 1 800 Progressive or Progressive.com. Coming up, coverage of the Western Conference Finals begins right after our show. PJ Carlissimo is on the call for that. He's going to join us next with a preview. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah, were you ever good at the hammer dance? I actually learned the hammer dance from MC Hammer's actual backup dancers at an event. See? Why yeah. did I, I just knew somewhere somehow in my soul knew that you would have I like had. a good hand, oh like, God. yeah, no, that right. was never going to be great for me. All right. The NBA playoffs <laughs> are on ESPN radio. Tune in tonight for game one, the Western conference finals warriors host the Mavs presented by indeed coverage begins at eight thirty PM Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. And on that coverage, you'll hear the great PJ Carlismo. We're going to get some of his expertise. Now ESPN NBA analyst joining us. He is part of the coverage that you will hear all night tonight, and appreciate the time as always. We've been talking a lot about Luca. How do you slow him down? Um, the things that you can use to slow him down are not allowed in the building. I mean, you need a, I think an AK-47 <laughs> would be nice. Um, it's There's not much you can do, truly. Uh, you know, the conventional thing is you double-team him. I mean, you try and deny him the ball, and at times teams have, you know, have had some success with that. Um, but uh, the other thing is to double-team him, try and get the ball out of his hands. The problem with that is he's very good at splitting double-teams, and then that usually gets him close to the paint or in the paint, and then he wreaks all kind of havoc when he's when he's down in there. And, you know, it sounds simple. Some players don't get it. If you're double-teamed, somebody else is not being covered. Mm -hmm. And Luka Doncic is extremely good at finding that uncovered player. And, he, you know, a big part... Uh, of his assists come from those double teams and or he gets in and he's up in the air and the defender thought he's done a great job and he's about to block the shot like the guy's on top of him there's no way that Luca can manufacture a shot you know even with his skill level and he just whips a pass to like one corner or the other and finds the the open guy so he he's the kind of guy that thrives on the defense that's best against him so you know clearly if you could deny him the ball that's the best way to go but much easier said than done. He happens to be a very good rebounder, and he brings the ball up the court himself an awful lot. So the, the, the least less amount of time that the ball's in his hand, the more good things that are going to happen. And that's why, you know, Jason Kidd made a couple of, of really good moves this year. Jalen Brunson gave them another player capable of beating you off the dribble and creating shots for other players. That allowed Luka to be off the ball. I mean, the truth was in the past, he pretty much had to have the ball in his hands all the time. And then on top of that, you get Spencer Dinwoody in the trade, and he's made a big difference since he's been there. So they're, they're a little more multiple in what they can do with the ball now. They have more players who can break you down, and they've just surrounded them. They've done a really good job putting the roster together. Uh, they've surrounded them with really good three-point shooters. Uh, and those guys, some, you know, some of them start, Bullock starts, but they come wheeling off the bench with, you know, Dinwiddie himself and Davis Bertans. Uh, and Maxi Kleba in particular. So it's they're really hard to defend. They really are. And they don't play 
at such a quick pace. Golden State gets up and down the floor much quicker than they do. They kind of lope up the floor at Luka's pace, but they still cut you up in the half court. Uh, okay, so AK-47. So you want the uh, you want the Warriors to sign Andre Karolinko. So we got that. Uh, that's going to be yep. how we defend. That's right. Uh, <laughs> let's let's talk about the opposite. How do you see the Mavs deciding to take on the ball movement and, of course, the threat that Steph is anywhere on the court? Well, you know, again, major problem. But, you know, for both, I don't envy either coach's job trying to uh, develop a defensive plan. I mean, step one is we're not going to shut this guy down. We know they're both capable of going for 30 and making it look easy. Um, sometimes the, the strategy for both of these when you get ready to play a Dallas or when you get ready to play a Golden State is, look, Steph's going to get his. Let's just make sure we don't expose ourselves too much in terms of double teams or not getting back and allow him to get these other guys. You know, all the assists he gets going, and all of a sudden you see a balanced uh, scoring sheet from Golden State. I, I think if you'd ask, uh, truth be told, uh, if they would if they would tell you the truth, Steve Kerr and Jason Kidd would say, I don't mind if Luka goes for 40-something or Steph goes for 40-something unless we, if we're able to control these other players. Where Steph and Luka both hurt you is they're very, they're not pretty good. They're excellent passers yeah. and they're willing to share the ball. And that, that's really a dilemma when you have people as talented off the dribble. Steph can get inside for a small guy. He finishes so well. I mean, I still think... He and Kyrie, I got to start putting Ja in that category. Ja does it a different way. I mean, he does it hanging on the rim or dunking it. But Kyrie and, and Steph just get down in the lane, and all these big guys are climbing up in the air 12, 13 feet trying to block the shot, and they just shoot it higher off the glass. They use the glass so well they finish inside, and Luke is just so big and strong. He just punishes defenders when he gets in the paint. So um, ideally keep them outside the three. If they have a good night make a whole bunch of threes, so be it but stay home on the other players and particularly keep the two of them out of the, it's gold paint here. We're sitting up high uh, in chase and it keep them out of the gold paint here in uh, the chase center. We're talking to PJ Carlissimo, ESPN NBA analyst. You can hear him on tonight's call. It's Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. We talked a little bit earlier about the Warriors being sloppy at times. Turnovers have been an issue. How did they fix that? Uh, if I knew that, Steve Kerr would hire me, and I'd be, uh, <laughs> I'd be working with him and making uh, – I'm very happy at ESPN, but making a lot more money than uh, probably the three of us combined are making. So um, it's, it's so hard. They're, they're, they have guys who like to try passes, led by the two best assist makers on the team, Steph Curry and, and Draymond Green. Uh, you know, some uh, – I, I liken it to, you know, football. There's the conservative quarterbacks that, that, you know, maybe they hang on to it too long, or, but they'll get rid of the ball. You know, the, the one in the end zone everybody always sees when they throw it into the stands. Oh, he just threw it right. away. But there's guys that do that on a regular basis in the NFL. They're more conservative. And then there's other guys who are just fearless and say, I can fit it in there. They, they think they can always get it in there. There's always room. And they can always make the perfect pass, whether it's touch or whether it's hitting hard, whatever it is. Steph and Jace, Steph and Draymond are both that way. So they're, they're going to try some passes that nobody else would try. And the team plays at a really quick pace. They have a lot of three-point shooters. Uh, it's just their nature. The thing you have to do when you evaluate Golden State, sometimes you look at their number of assists and it looks like you say, or turnovers. You say, well, that's a lot of turnovers. It is, but they score a lot of points. You know, I mean, relative to 
the points they score. They're number one mm -hmm. in the playoffs right now. They don't turn it over quite as much as you. If you look at the raw number, you go, how do these guys win any games? They have too many turnovers. But there's a lot of possessions in a Golden State game. There aren't as many in a Dallas game, and that's one of the reasons Dallas is, was number one. They slid the last two games uh, of that first series. They're now number two in the playoffs, but still, they're like down in a 10, you know, where Golden State's usually up 14 or 15. There's a big difference, but the pace that these two teams play at, they probably attempt six more shots a game, uh, the Warriors, uh, than do the Dallas Mavs. So sometimes that when you see that turnover number, it's a problem. Don't get me wrong, Sarah. I agree with you. That That's where they go wrong. The most they either get beat up on the offensive boards uh they commit too many personal fouls or they turn it over too much those are kind of the achilles heels of, of the golden state warriors but hand in hand with a couple of those are a ton of points that come with those you know with the turnovers and, and with the the real they have a high assist total also they lead they they've come close sometimes to leading in assists and leading in turnovers and that's not <laughs> as hard to understand it when you think about it PJ, we appreciate your time as always. Have a great call tonight. Thanks for joining us, my friend. Jason, thank you. Sarah, Thanks, always PJ. good being with you. I want to see that hammer dance. All right, next time. Next oh, time. Man, All right. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We're dancing for PJ. It seems like That's it's a right. whole series we could do it, uh, it, that we should do right there. PJ Carlissimo, you can hear him tonight on ESPN Radio's coverage of the Western Conference Finals. That begins in just a few minutes. Sarah, uh, I, I'm taking Golden State. Like, nothing today has changed my mind. Do you still feel good about your pick of Golden State? I do. I still feel good about my pick of the Celtics as well, even after last night. Um, I think they're both going to be close series, though. I don't know if we said how long. I think I'm going Warriors in six and Celtics in seven. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go, oh, man, I don't know. I feel like the Heat might win that series. Now, I'm not changing my mind. Uh, I'll take the Warriors in five, though. How do you like that? Just so we're different. Perfect. There we go. Great. I'll, I'll agree with you on the rest of it. You can check out the game coming up next on ESPN Radio. As always, this has been Spain and Fitz, and I'm proud I actually didn't place a bet tonight. Stick around. Listen to yeah. the NBA actually coming up next on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.